Well, hello there, top teachers. We are your hosts, Bridget Spackman. And Michelle Emerson, and we are here to make your life easier by helping you master your time, organization, and productivity as a teacher. Last week, we shared that we're doing a mini-series this month all on building habits. We shared in our last episode some habits, both professional and personal, that Michelle and I are working to build. And in today's episode, we are sharing some tiny changes that will give you big results in your habit-building journey. But first, we have a tiny interruption. <laughs> We're going to share a TSH from Stacy. So Stacy's time sucking hurdle is planning and organizing. Oddly enough, when I begin to feel overwhelmed, I can spend hours rewriting a new schedule, planning a healthier menu, or searching Pinterest for new organizational ideas. In the end, I often don't end up with a plan that's going to improve my life much more. I get a sense of security from planning and organizing, so I love doing it. I'm just not real great on the follow through slash implementation. Yeah, Stacey, it can be challenging to look for things online without getting sucked into like what I consider the black hole (laughs) of the internet. So here's the thing. You have to have systems and routines in place to build effective habits. It sounds like you are organized, but the next layer is that you have to follow through with what you were planning out in the first place versus trying to just recreate or improve yourself each time. Yeah, so Stacy, this TSH really resonated with me because I'm the exact same way. I love planning and organizing, but I sometimes struggle with the implementation because that's just not as much fun, right? So a few tips. First, try to find ways to make the actual implementation more enjoyable. Here's an example. I love organizing and planning what I'm going to pack on a trip. I make a list in my phone and it's great but I hate actually packing, right? Totally relatable. So (laughs) when it is time to pack, I will listen to a podcast on my phone or watch a YouTube video. That way it's more of an enjoyable experience. My second tip is to just be like Nike and just do it. You have to be disciplined and get it done even when you don't want to. In my experience, it ends up getting done a lot faster than I thought it would. And then I'm left thinking like, why did I put this off for so long? Like it wasn't even that bad. So just be like Nike and just do it. My last tip echoes what Bridget said. You have to implement your current systems consistently instead of always believing like the grass is greener on the other side. Like instead of always trying to find something new, 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 Mm -hmm. just be consistent with it. Yeah, and I think this episode, Stacy, is going to be um, a really good one for you to listen to. So make sure to uh, take out a notepad, take some notes, because there's there's a lot of really good information in this one. So Michelle and I have recently read the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. This book has been on our radar to read for quite some time, and there is truly no better time to share the wealth of knowledge, and I mean wealth of knowledge that we gained from this book, than at the beginning of the new year. I have to say. I loved loved it this book and now thinking back the last quote unquote book review that Bridget and I did together it was seven habits of highly effective people and at the time I was like yeah this is a good book well it was because we had both read the seven habits of highly effective teens and we loved it as kids yes do you remember that I do But now after reading Atomic Habits, I'm like, this book blows that one out of the water. Oh my gosh. Thoroughly loved it. I don't remember the last time I really enjoyed reading and like couldn't put the book down. I'll be honest. I've never been a huge reader. Growing up, my sister always had a book with her. She was always reading. And I think for me... I wanted to kind of differentiate myself from her. So I didn't want to read as much. And I was more Mm -hmm. like active and playing and outside, that kind of stuff. So I've never been a huge reader. As I've gotten older, I have more of an appreciation for it. But this was the first book in years where I didn't want to put it down. I started reading like at home. I read a couple pages maybe like 20 pages. And then I took it with me. I had a day trip where I went to Nashville for one day. So I flew out in the morning and came back at home and I finished the book that day. And I just like could not put it down every second I got. I was like, I just want to read it. So (laughs) we're going to share some of the things that really resonated with us from the book and kind of explain why. We're going to share our biggest takeaways. So maybe things that really changed our thinking 
And then we're going to share how we're going to implement these tips and strategies moving forward. If you enjoy listening to this episode and you want to grab a copy of the book for yourself, we will link it for you down in the show notes. And just keep in mind, Bridget and I basically each made a lengthy list of like the things that resonated with us and our takeaways and all that. And we're going to try to be just like as chatty as possible. But like as Bridget starts going through her list, like I might kind of interject. I'm not trying to interrupt her, but no, please do. (laughs) And then when I get to my list, it's going to be kind of reviewing it going, okay, did we talk about that? So it's going to be all over the place, but here's what I find really interesting about you and I is that I, and I'm looking at everything. I noticed that you pull out a lot of quotes. I love quotes. She loves quotes. Guys, I'm not a quote person. Yeah. The way that my brain works is that I have to somehow find a connection to what the author is talking about and how it relates to my life. So like I either put it in very simple terms or I have a tendency to like find a story or something that's happening in my life or around me or somebody Mm -hmm. that I know to help me make that connection. So I think it's going to be interesting hearing the two different perspectives that you and I have, because we do approach things very differently in our thinking in that sense. I I agree. I growing up kept a book where I wrote my favorite quotes. Like it was just full of quotes. I'm very um, structural. Like I love when things are precise. And I think that's what attracts me about quotes is it's yeah. like precise and I'm not that way at all I'm more like whimsical yeah. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it um okay so let's first go into a habit should we talk about that yeah like let's cover just some of the basics from the book like here's kind of how you know how he defines a habit how he defines an atomic habit and then how he kind of breaks it down in the book okay So let's talk about a habit. So a habit is defined as a routine or behavior that is performed regularly and automatically. Okay. So James Clear will tell us that an atomic habit is a tiny change, a marginal gain, a 1% improvement. Yeah. So if you think about the word atomic, like atoms are, you know, the smallest form Form. of whatever matter and stuff. Yeah, it is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Smallest form of matter. Yeah. Yeah. So an atomic habit is like a little tiny habit, a tiny change that you can make in order to improve your life. And this book focuses a lot on behavior change. And I think that that's something that's overlooked a lot of times when it comes to habit building, like you have to change your behavior in order for the habit to stick. So the book is broken down into four laws, make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, make it satisfying. So those are the things that you have to do in order for your habit to actually stick. You have to make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy and make it satisfying. So you might hear us kind of refer to these sections as we're going through the book and Mm -hmm. just know that that's kind of how the book is organized. So Bridget, what resonated with you? I've got to be honest, like those beginning chapters, I know that in any book that we want to read, you know, the the author is basically trying to kind of give you the greater purpose, the greater mm-hmm. meaning behind any anything that it is that they're talking about. That resonated with me the most. Um, okay. So James talks about, I like how I'm calling him James. Yeah, we're you're just besties. <laughs> we're besties. Uh, but James talks about identity and that the goal, if you think about the habits that we build, it's not necessarily about reaching the goal. It's about changing who you are as an mm-hmm. individual. Mm-hmm. So he gives one reference and I wrote this one down because I was like, oh, this couldn't connect so much to me. Did but you write you, a quote? Is that what I you're did, saying? No, no, I did not. I paraphrased. Kind of, I paraphrased. <laughs> So he said that the goal is not to read a book at the end of it. The goal is to become a reader. So if you kind of think about habits in that sense that you're not just trying to kind of check something off your list or kind of say that, oh, I did this thing, like I and now I can move on. You're wanting to make this greater impact in changing who you are. And that's mm-hmm. part of like the identity piece of it. And so I really, really resonated with that part because of the fact that it's like, I don't want to just temporarily improve who I am. I want to change who I am for the better so that I can consistently do it do it over a longer period of time, but I don't necessarily have to think about it. And that's the whole point of a habit, right? Yeah. Is that 
we want to be able to make this a long lasting thing that we just don't even need to think about anymore. And that's our identities. That's who we are. Yeah. And I think so much of our lives are dedicated to like creating ourselves, right? Like who do we want to be? And especially, Mm -hmm. I feel like we undergo the most changes in like our twenties and thirties, right? Where we're trying to evolve and figure out like, oh, I want to be this. I don't want to be that. And James (laughs) really makes a point to say like, ultimately your identity, who you are as a person is comprised of all of your habits, both good and bad. Cause he does talk about how like, yeah, we have bad habits and we have good habits and all of those make up who we are. Yeah. And you know, what was really interesting is that he even talked about like the people who say like, oh, I'm terrible with directions or I'm not good with technology. Mm -hmm. You are already identifying yourself as being bad in those areas. And therefore, when you hold that identity and you hold that strong, you are never going to improve it because Mm -hmm. that it's like they're like um, I almost think of it now that we're talking about atomics, like positive and negative, like they're, they're going to separate, right? You're never going to be able to create a bond and change that part of you because you strongly identify with being that person. Yep. Yep. So I thought that that was really interesting. Um, The other thing that I thought was really interesting is that he talks about like doing a habit is like casting votes, which I really enjoyed this piece and how he kind of made this connection for people. And this will go into, he'll talk about it and I know we'll probably chat about it a little bit later on, but he talks about how it will, um, it's not about how long does it take to kind of build a habit. I think this goes really, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a big piece of it. But if you think about habits as casting votes, right? If you think about like elections, you have both sides. One side will, you know, cast for, you know, one particular person. Another one will have votes for a different side. Mm-hmm. His thinking is, and what he says is that the more votes that you have on your particular habit and not against your habit, the more likely you will then be able to continue that habit and change your identity in the long run. Mm-hmm. Which to me, I was like, oh, that's a really big aha. So it's not necessarily, you know, how long you end up doing it. It's let's say I end up doing that habit five times within that one day. I might be able to reach that habit a lot sooner because I'm doing it so often within a single day versus me saying, oh, I'm going to do it once a week. Well, that's obviously going to take longer because you need to have more votes for that side. You're having more votes for not doing the habit than you are for doing the habit. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that also ties in nicely to it's okay to mess up. It's okay to have a day where you're not perfect. And so many of us fall into this trap of the all or nothing mentality. Right. And so it's like, well, if I can't do, if I can't do it perfectly, I don't want to do it at all. And that's why so many people quit and give up the first time that they mess up or the first time they kind of fall off the the trail. Whereas if you think about it in terms of votes, it's like, hold on, as long as the majority is for the habit that you want to create, you're good. You don't have to have every vote. Politicians don't have to have every vote. They just have to have enough. They have to have the majority. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it such a great way to be able to think about it in that sense? But I really did like, and I, okay, maybe this is kind of a quote. I don't really know. But he did at one point mention that every action is a vote for who you are set to become. And I really, really liked that just because it's like, okay, I just need to continuously like keep casting votes. I don't need to be perfect. And I that goes right back to where you were saying that sometimes it's like, oh, well, I'm not going to be able to stick with it. Why? What's the point of me even attempting? I just... I like that. I like that sense of it. Okay. And the other thing that really, really um, resonated with me, and it's because I love learning about the brain (laughs) and I love learning about theorists and behaviorists and all of the things. So Pavlov's dog, you know Mm -hmm. that one, right? Okay. So I... I thought about Pavlov's dog, but he did not use the example of Pavlov in this situation. So he starts to kind of introduce the four laws of behavior change. And so when he talks about the four laws of behavior change, he talks about um, a, a a type of study that was done, but it wasn't Pavlov's dog. It was a different one. It was one. Skinner, and, I believe. Was it Skinner? I could it was with I the rats and like the basically training the, the rats yes. to get out of the box to find the food. Thank yes. you so much. Yes. Okay. So 
He says that you have to have four things. You have to have the cue, the craving, the response, and the reward. And so I really like that he takes this idea of this, like these theorists and what they've kind of created and behaviorists and what they've created with cue, craving, response, reward, because that's what I always think about. And he turns them into the laws. So he takes the cue as the, the cue is to make it obvious. The craving is then to make it attractive because you crave something, right? So whenever something's attractive, you're going to crave it more. Mm -hmm. And then you have the response, which is the third law of making it easy and the reward, which is making it satisfying. And so I liked that connection to his laws and how it related to, you know, these studies that have been done many, many, many years ago. Yeah. And that I've shown, like, this is how human behavior works. And so he's just kind of reformatting it in a way yeah. to kind of these easier to understand terms. Like the whole make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, make it satisfying. That's very easy for anyone to, like, understand. Exactly. Exactly. And I liked that. Um, another thing that he mentioned, and I, so Michelle and I haven't really even talked a ton about this book. Like we did in the in the beginning and we mentioned little things to each other, but we haven't really gone in depth. And so I'm really intrigued with what you think on this section that he talks about with discipline. Because I know we talk a lot about discipline and I know that, you know, we say that you just got to get up and do it. And we are big believers of that. Yeah. But this idea that a little bit of discipline, it he talks about how it's so deeply embedded in our culture. And so when he mentioned that, I'm like, well, dang it. Like, am I in the wrong by just saying you just do it? Like, you, you just have the discipline, force yourself to do it. You got to build that into you. And he said um, that disciplined people spend less time in tempting some situations, which makes building habits so much easier for them because they don't put themselves in those situations. Whereas some people who are not as disciplined, you know, they do have a tendency to kind of fall into those traps because they're putting themselves in that environment that makes it easy mm -hmm. for them to to make the bad habit or to not do it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So. I don't know. Like I was interested when he said that, that it was deeply embedded in that piece. I, I also was very interested when he said that the people with the best self-control are the ones who are going to end up using it the least. Yeah. Which was interesting. And then he said that we have to create a more disciplined environment. Not that we are needing to be more disciplined, but it's necessary. It's more so about the environment in which we are being placed in that we need to create dis as a disciplined piece. Yeah. And I, I found this very interesting as well. It's one of those things where I had never heard it put that way. And so it got me thinking a lot and I do agree to a certain degree, but then do agree to a certain degree. But at the same time, I don't know if I fully agree. So I'm going to give just a couple of examples that came to mind. I think about a lot when it comes to discipline, I think about like fitness and like working out and eating healthy. Cause I think that's something that everyone can relate to. And that's something everyone has struggled with at some point. And I am very disciplined in that realm of my life. Mm -hmm. And if I think about it, the whole like not being in tempting situations, I'm not a big drinker. And I know one area where people kind of fall off in terms of fitness and, and healthy eating is like, they'll go out for a night of drinking and then it's hard to get back on track after that. Like they mm -hmm. don't want to go work out because they feel like crap. And I don't put myself in those situations because it's just not what I want to do. And but is it because that you don't identify as that person? Yes, 100%. But but I also think, so I agree that I put myself in you know situations where I don't have to really use self-control and I'm in a very disciplined environment. But I also feel like there is still a certain amount that just has to do with you as a person and the decisions you make. So for example, going to the gym, like I have certain days of the week that I go to the gym no matter what. And I don't necessarily have a super disciplined environment. Like it used to be that I drove past the gym on the way home. So yeah, it made sense. I would stop now. Like I have to leave home for the first time, typically most days in order to go to the gym. And it's not necessarily a disciplined environment. It's like, I have to make the choice of like, I'm going to go change into my workout clothes. Mm -hmm. I'm going to head to the gym. I'm going to get there and go in and start working out. Like, 
I just feel like there are certain things where it's about the choices we make, you know? Yes. And I think James, again, RBF, um, James talks about something called decisive moments. Yes. Um, And I'm going to touch on that a little bit later on. But I think decisive moments goes along that line of discipline. So I think they are connected and related, right? Because you have to take those moments where you have to make kind of like that decision of the, it's the fork in the road and which way am I going to go? Do I have the discipline to take that path? Because I know that it's going to make things better. Yeah. Does that make sense? I agree. Okay. So another thing that resonated with me was the million dollar question of how long does it have, like, does Mm -hmm. it take for a habit to form? Um, and he ends up saying that habit formation is just the process by which a behavior becomes progressively more automatic through repetition. So again, the more votes you cast towards that habit, it's going to then help you build it, right? Yep. So it's not necessarily like how long you're doing it. It's how many votes you are getting for that habit. So it doesn't matter at the rate, the rate at which you're forming it. It just, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter as far as like how long you're doing it. What matters is just at the rate at which you are forming that new habit. So I liked that. I thought that that was really interesting. Um, And then the two minute rule, which was, I know something that you and I were going to talk about, but I hadn't read that part yet because I listened to it on audiobook. Um, So the two minute rule is very, very interesting. And I I remember you telling me like I don't know if I like if I like that because it's like the oh just go to the gym and be there for two minutes and then leave. <laughs> it is a very strange. Let's define what he refers to as the two minute rule because Bridget and I have brought up the two minute rule, but it kind of means something different. So he says the yes. two minute rule is when you start a new habit, it should be something that takes less than two minutes to do. So instead of the habit is like, I want to spend more time reading, you would start with, I just want to read one page. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And now I think, and just to kind of clarify the two minute rules, I think they're a little bit different. So the other two minute rule that we've talked about in the past is from David Allen, getting things done. And David Allen says that when you're kind of processing work, instead of adding it onto your to-do list, if it takes less than two minutes, you just need to do it. Don't even add it to your to-do list. So it's more so about like, you're powerless and getting things done. Do you know what I mean? And just accomplishing tasks versus like building a habit. But this one was really interesting in the sense that it's like, you got to kind of get yourself started. And if, and again, I think it goes back to, if you listen to our last um, episode 106, where we talked about like our own personal habits that we're wanting to build. If I told myself that I was going to do, you know, cook every night for an entire, you know, for an entire month, I would fail automatically. It would not happen. I would never actually even do it because it's like the impending doom of, yep, I'm, this is not reasonable. So for him, he says that you need to have this two minute rule of just kind of getting yourself started. It's like getting your feet wet, like edging and putting your toes inside the the ocean just a little bit before you go all in. And so the more you kind of just get started and do it, the more it's just going to become automatic. It's going to build that automaticity. And then finally, at one point, you're just going to be opening that book and saying, oh, I already have it open. I might as well read. And then two minutes all of a sudden will become 10 minutes without even knowing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's something where I I understand what he's getting at. And I do that with myself sometimes. If I don't want to start something, I'm like, well, I'm going to do it just for 15 minutes. I just feel like two minutes is almost like too small of a start. But maybe that's because, again, I identify as a person who is disciplined and can, you know, if I'm going to set my mind to it, I'm going to do it. And so I don't need that small of like an incremental start, if that makes sense. And I am the complete opposite of you. Yeah. As much as I want to say that, like, yes, I am a a hard worker and I I do believe I am a hard worker. If it's not easy, I don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I'm also a very lazy person. I mean, how often do I say like I'm a lazy teacher? I am. I like things to be simple. I don't like to overcomplicate things. And so when I feel like things are complicated and hard, I don't want to do it. It's just it's funny. He talks about that in the book. He talks about how as humans, like we ultimately do want to do what's easy and that's not a bad thing. Like from an evolutionary standpoint, it makes sense. And so that's why one of the laws action or something like that. Yeah. That's why one of the laws is make it easy. But 
Okay. I'm going to go into the things that resonated with me and we might need to like speed up a little bit because we're 25 minutes in and we've only gotten through one section. Okay. Go. Okay. I'm going to be sharing a lot of quotes. I love quotes. Just go with me on this. First of all, he mentioned about how the habits, it's just this tiny margin of improvement in everything that you do. And he mentioned that habits are the compound interest of self-improvement. And I just really liked that comparison. It's like you don't see the change, you know, day after day, but year after year, they start to compound together and you notice these bigger changes. And I just like that analogy. He also gave the analogy of planes and how if they shift by just a few degrees, whether it's good or bad, it makes a big difference over time. So I think Mm -hmm. the example he gave is if a plane is leaving from like LA and when it's leaving, let's say it goes just like three degrees South. And I think he even mentioned that that would mean the plane tip moving. It was like a matter of inches, like six inches. Okay. So it's not a big change at all when you first start, but let's say that plane was headed to New York if it shifts just three degrees at the beginning, it's going to end up in DC instead of New York. So by the end, it ends up being like, you know, a 500 mile difference. And I felt like that was very powerful because yeah. sometimes, especially when it comes to like building bad habits, we think, oh, well, this isn't a big deal. It's just this little change. And then it ends up being much bigger than what mm-hmm. it started as. Okay. Here was a quote that I really liked. People will make a few small changes, fail to see a tangible result, and decide to stop. And he refers to this as the valley of disappointment. So Mm. I feel like this is so relatable in all aspects of life. Whenever we're trying to start a new change, a new habit, like we make these changes and we expect to see results right away. And I think that's as a society, it's that instant gratification that we all love so much, but that's not how it actually works. And I think that goes back to the whole being disciplined versus not being disciplined. I think people who are disciplined can see the light at the end of the tunnel and they know like, if I just keep doing this, it's going to pay off. Right. So I just felt like that was a very powerful quote. I also really liked this quote. (laughs) Goals are about the results you want to achieve systems are about the processes that lead to those results. So James talks about how winners and losers have the same goals, which when you say it like that, you're like, oh, duh. Like when two teams play a a sport against each other, (laughs) they they both want to win. Like, duh, they have the same goal. And so it's not about your goals. It's about your systems. So Mm. it's not about like, oh, I I want to do this. Okay. What are you going to do different to help you get there? And if you achieve the goal, but ultimately you haven't changed your system, because sometimes that does happen, right? Like you can still meet your goal without really changing like who you identify as and those systems that help you get there. It's not going to stick over time. And eventually you're going to be back to square one. And I think about this as those like band-aid solutions. You know what I mean? Yeah. I recently heard the analogy of it's like a spider building a spider web. And if all you do is each day you go in and clean the spider web, but you haven't killed the spider, the spider web's going to be back tomorrow because that's what spiders do. They build webs. And so instead of focusing on always just cleaning up the spider web, you got to kill the spider so that you don't have to deal with that anymore. And that's, you know, you have to change your system so that you get the new results that you want. He also mentions that behind every system of actions are a system of beliefs. And this goes off of what Bridget brought up about your identity. And I think as teachers, so many of us believe certain myths about teaching. Like you have to work all these extra hours in order to be effective. And as a result, our systems play into that. Honestly, I think... and. I'm just going to say it. I I might have people come for me, so Bridget, protect me. But, you know, I think there are so many teachers who stay long hours after working. And honestly, I think it's because they tell themselves, oh, well, if I stay really late, like I I am a good teacher. And so they're not being as productive during their actual planning time because they're like, well, I'm going to stay three hours after school so I can get it done then. And it's because they believe that the more time Mm -hmm. that they spend at school, the more effective they are. When in reality, they need to be using their time 
more effectively. Right. They kind of identify oh. as that that teacher that stays late and yep. that does puts in a lot of hours and a lot yep. of work when in reality the the reasons why we have to stay late there's so many kind of other factors it's because we don't have those systems and routines in place to help us be more efficient it's yep. because of the fact that our districts are not supporting us with helping us understand with what in the world am i supposed to be doing every single day and yep. so because of that it's feeding into that identity that we have now created for ourselves as teachers yep i agree um, Bridget brought up those four steps to behavior change. Yes. So the cue, craving, response, and reward. What resonated the most with that for me is that rewards are not a bad thing. They satisfy us and they teach us. And honestly, I am so tired of this narrative in education that, oh, you can't reward or incentivize your students because they need to build intrinsic motivation. In the book, James yeah. talks about how intrinsic motivation, it's not built overnight. It takes a long time to build. And rewards can be something that help keep the motivation up while you're building it. And I'm sorry, but rewards are everywhere in everyday life. They are. When you go to work, you get a paycheck. That is a reward. You would not go every day, no matter how passionate you are, if you were not getting that paycheck. That's just the reality of it. Yeah. Rewards are not a bad thing. No. And then he goes into like talking about like our, the beginnings of who we were as like you know, people, if you talk about like the homo sapiens sapiens, I think is what he mentioned or something back then it was a reward system. Like we have, we, our brains are programmed to understand rewards and to continue doing the things that we're doing. It's yeah. it very much like animals. I mean, but if they killed an animal, they then had the craving of being able to eat. So then their response was you know, it kind of just unfolds naturally. Yep. Yep. But it's been over the last like 100 years where we've been modernizing everything where our rewards are getting to be further and further than immediate response, like an immediate reward. And he actually says that immediate rewards are the best, that whenever mm -hmm. you're building a habit, you don't want to have a uh, reward that's going to take time. So something that I often think about is like, oh, well, if I finish lesson planning, then I'm going to schedule something to go get a massage. No, like what you probably need to do is schedule the massage for like five o'clock and know that you have to have your plans done. So that way you have the immediate reward of yep. going and getting that massage done. Yep. Do you know what I mean? And that's a huge thing because for me, I would be like, oh, I don't want to schedule it. I'm too tired now. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And then there's no satisfaction there. There's no reward that's taking place. Yep. So very good point. Yeah. He also mentions how a lot of people think they lack motivation. How often have we heard that? Like, I'm just yes. not motivated to do it. Yes. But in reality, they're lacking clarity. They don't know exactly how or where to start. And so they have this goal, but they don't have the systems. Like it all comes down to those systems and the systems tell you how to start and where to start. They give you that clarity so that you're able to get it done and you're not sitting there like twiddling your thumbs trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. Um, he had the quote, you often decide what to do next based on what you have just finished doing. And this made me think about the little saying that I've always heard and said, activity leads to more activity and mm -hmm. inactivity leads to more inactivity. It's like those days where you just jump right into it and you start getting stuff done. You tend to get tons more done throughout the day because you were already in that process, already in that mindset versus the days where you're, you start out super sluggish and then you get nothing done. So I think that goes back to that whole casting votes. It's like right at the start of your day, like what do you want to cast a vote for? Because that's going to really lead the rest of your day. Um, he also mentions that visual measurements result in better progress. So habit trackers are a form mm -hmm. of visual measurement. And he talks about the whole like don't break the chain and how that's a powerful mantra. It made me think about my Apple Watch rings because currently I have closed all of my rings every day for over a year now. And I'm oh like paranoid that I will not close them. And that really drives like my action and my choices throughout the day. They also keep you honest because most of us have a very distorted view of our own behavior. We think we act better than we actually do. Yes. And I see this 
all the time. I belong to a macros group on Facebook and people will be like, well, I'm tracking my macros and I'm not losing weight. I don't get what's going on. Like maybe I just need to, to lower them. And people will comment. They're like, well, can you show us examples of your food logs? And they'll either be like, well, I haven't actually been tracking my food. And it's like, well, no, duh, then like we think we act better than we actually do. So we rely on our memories. Oh yeah. And our memories are awful. Like when it actually comes down to it. So those habit trackers help to really keep you honest. And he had another quote that I liked. I I only have one more after this, I promise, (laughs) at least in this section. Um, He said, the first mistake is never the one that ruins you. It's the spiral of repeated mistakes that follows. Missing Mm -hmm. once is an accident. Missing twice is the start of a new habit. Loved that. Loved that. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. And then the last one for this part, He said, until you work as hard as those you admire, don't explain away their success as luck. I think so often we see people, oh my goodness, did you hear what happened to my voice I know, my voice did that earlier. That was bizarre. (laughs) Um, Sometimes we see people who are reaching the goals that we want to reach and we're like, well, they're just lucky or it's just their genetics or it must be nice because they have more planning time than I do. But if you really looked at their actions side by side, you would realize that the person who's reaching their goals is working a heck of a lot harder. So when you see someone who's reaching their goals until you are working as hard as they are, you don't get to say anything about it. Yeah. Tough luck. No, exactly. I love that. Biggest takeaways. Yeah, let's get into the biggest takeaways. So uh, one of the biggest takeaways that I had towards the very beginning, and we're going to start going into like where he talks about like, I keep thinking of it as like the Q craving. What is it actually, Michelle? You remember it so so much better than I do. um, What are the four laws? Oh, the four laws. It's make it obvious. Okay. Make it attractive. Yep. Make it easy make it satisfying. Okay. So I'm going to start going into those okay. quite a bit, but I keep thinking of it as the cue craving response. And, and I can't fine. remember the last one. It's my uh, brain reward. goes the other way. Reward. reward. Thank you. So I keep going the other way. So one of the things that he talks about is in building a new habit. If you're struggling to build a habit, you need to think of this idea of habit stacking. Ooh, I loved habit yeah. stacking. I was like, ooh, this is a good one. Yeah. I never thought of it this way. But what he says is that if you want to build a habit, you need to combine it with something that you're already doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it's that when you get up in the morning, you're already waking up in the morning, or if you go to um, you know, make your coffee, what is another habit that you're working to build that you can just kind of add on to it? And that's mm-hmm. called habit stacking. So he basically says that you need to follow this like idea of after my current habit, I will. And then that's exactly what you're going to kind of follow through with. And I love that idea because if you isolate the habit, it's going to be much harder for you to start it. But because you're already starting with something that is habitual, that it's just kind of automatic, you're going to lead right into it. I think it gives it a nice flow. Do you know what I mean? Yep. And it provides people with that specific plan for like when and where to go. So he even says that if you want to think about habits, you need to say like, all right, so after I, you know, make my cup of coffee, um, I will then, um, you know, grab a, you know, protein bar every morning you know, in the kitchen. So he's telling you, you need to like specify when, where, what time, all of that in order to continue with it. Because if you tell like when and where you're doing it, you're going to have the likelihood of just kind of following through. It's that clarity. It's not motivation. It's to be clear. Yep. So he also talks about making things obvious. So making objects obvious in line of sight, because our visual is the most powerful of our senses. So um, environment is going to be a huge one. And it was really interesting when he was talking about making things obvious. And I had this connection. We go to this Indian restaurant. So Michelle, you know, like right towards like the Maryland and Pennsylvania line, there's Mm -hmm. I can't even remember it. I know it's like exit 26 or 20 something. And it there's this like really nice area that you can go and shop. And like they have these great food places where well, there's an Indian restaurant there. Okay. I, when I remember <laughs> it, I will talk to you about it because I can't think of it now. And so we love going to this Indian restaurant, especially because, you know, Indian food is like hard to cook for us. It just takes so much time. 
And so I am normally a Diet Coke girl. I like to have Diet Coke when I go out to drink, to eat. It's just what I do. But at this Indian restaurant, they don't make the sodas obvious. And because of the fact that they don't make the sodas obvious, I've noticed that I only drink water when I go there. Mm -hmm. I will never order a drink. Mm-hmm. Isn't that weird? And but it, it makes fits sense, so perfectly. You know, how often have you like walked into your pantry area or opened the fridge and you weren't even craving something, but all of a sudden you see it and you're like, "Ooh, yeah. I want that." You know? Yeah. It's very, very interesting. So I was able to kind of make that connection with just making objects obvious in the line of sight. Um, so then he talks about the environment and uh, really just understanding our environment and how we can make things more obvious. So if you want to make a habit like a big part of your life, then you need to make that a big part of the environment. Mm -hmm. So some of the things that he said that, you know, if you're looking to be creative, that you need to go to like a larger area or get out of your like normal work area, which I found very interesting. He also said that if you are wanting to eat healthier, then stop shopping at your local grocery store. You need to go to somewhere else where you're not like on automatic pilot and you don't necessarily know where the foods are because it's Mm going to force you to want to eat healthier. The other way around, you already know where everything is. You're an automatic. You just pull the same stuff over and over again. You're not eating healthy. Yeah. So, um, I, in this, this other one that I have, which is like one space equals one use. This took me back to when we were, you know, back pre-COVID, like right at the mm-hmm. beginning of COVID, when you and I started doing some like of our podcasts of like how to create a space at home and the yep. importance of having a single use to a particular space. So like I know that if I go to the couch, I'm going to relax downstairs. I'm not going to open up a laptop. I'm not going to do work. It's my cue is then to I get to relax, unwind for the day. That's my mm-hmm. habit there. If I come and sit down on my chair, like in my office, I know I'm going to get work done because it's like an automatic thing. If we have too many uses for too many different areas in our house, we're going to have like conflicting signals being sent to our brain and we're never really going to build some of those habits, right? So if you're somebody that's like, oh, well, I always check social media when I go and sit sit down on the couch. Well, then you need to make it to where like, where is it that you can be able to like check social social media so that way you're not kind of building that habit you're building yeah. it in a different location um so he also mentioned temptation building which i thought was interesting temptation the idea bundling bundling thank you i said building <laughs> Temptation bundling, which I thought was interesting. So my, I had this connection because my mother-in-law um, loves podcasts. We got her hooked to podcasts, like all of like the murder podcasts that are out there. But she told us, because we would go to her house and be like, hey, did you listen to this podcast? It's so good. She's like, no, I haven't had a chance. And we're like, why aren't you listening to them? You're retired. Like, why in the world are you not getting this done? And she says that she gives herself the reward. She only allows herself to listen to podcasts when she goes to the gym because it gives her something to look forward to. She doesn't like going to the gym, but because she gets to listen to her podcast while she's at the gym, she kind of pairs that action with something that she needs to do. So she has something she wants to do with something she needs to do. And so that temptation bundling is a great way to like motivate it and make it more attractive. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, And then he kind of goes into, you know, more about like behaviors that are attractive and that we want to be able to fit in. So we imitate the things around us. Like Michelle has a tendency to say oof. And now guess what I'm saying? I know. I know. (laughs) So we imitate those that are around us. Yeah, Yeah. And he says we imitate three types of people. The close, which that is what Michelle is for me, the many and the powerful. Right. And so he talks about how we need to be if we want to start to create habits, we need to surround ourselves with those that are creating those types of habits. Mm -hmm. So. For instance, I know for a fact I don't like to hang out with certain teachers in my building because they're either one, going to make me feel really negative about teaching or two, I'm never going to get anything done. They don't align with where I want to identify as a teacher or how I want to identify as a teacher. So I really liked the gym reference that he talks about. He says that there's a gym that was created, but it was for like all the misfits. So yeah. like, oh, if you are, you know, a video game person, then you can go and find like-minded people 
who are also wanting to get in shape. So if you are a Star Wars person, you can go and talk Star Wars with all these other people who love Star Wars, but also build the habit of going to the gym. Yep. So change is truly like attractive when it means that you're fitting in with your tribe. And so that just... I like that because I that's probably why we're such good friends too it's because we both align with where and what we want to identify as yes and that helps to motivate us yeah and I think attractive that last thing that you said about how it's attractive when it means fitting in I found that very validating because it's crazy how even as adults it's like we just want to be accepted we just want to feel like we fit in and that can be really hard and it's interesting how yeah, you feel a lot more motivated to change if it means fitting in. I, I yeah. was like, okay, it's not just me. <laughs> no. Okay. No. So I'm going to go through some of mine, which I have some that are similar. So starting with, he mentions how you really have to focus on who you want to become mm-hmm. and you want to build those identity-based habits instead of outcome-based habits. Yes. So your motivation increases and you want to continue it when that habit becomes part of your identity and you kind of feel pride in that. I get asked so many times, like, how do you feel motivated to go to the gym? And it's like, well, I now identify as a Mm -hmm. power lifter. And it's like, that's what power lifters do. They go to the gym, they get their sessions in. So I I thought it was interesting that he tied it to like that pride because I do think that's a big part of it. And he mentioned how once you have an identity, quote unquote identity, it can be hard to break away from it. And I think this is why I've been kind of struggling over the past few months because for so long, teaching was my number one identity. And even though I still identify as a teacher, it's almost like I've had to rework in my brain. Well, what is a teacher? What does that look like? Because I'm not in a classroom. And I think for so many people, they're like, well, you're not a teacher. And so I'm trying to figure out, I still identify as a teacher. It's just my idea of a teacher doesn't necessarily align with everyone else's. Right. Um, And again, it's that whole every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. And so that's something I'm going to continually tell myself, especially in those hard moments where it's like I'm, I'm casting a vote right now. Yes, you are. He made a comment about how habits solve problems and serve you in some way and how even when you have bad habits, like you have formed that bad habit for a reason. It serves you in some way, but ultimately what we would classify as good habits, they have positive outcomes. And then what we would classify as bad habits, those have negative outcomes. And so rather than looking at it of from kind of a negative standpoint of like, I need to stop doing this. It's so bad for me, blah, 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 blah. I need to look at it as, okay, I'm doing this and I've been doing it because it serves me, right? Like it, it solves a problem. I've been doing it this way for a reason, but I want a positive outcome, not a negative outcome. And I just feel like that was a good reminder for me. So going into each of those four areas under make it obvious, some of the things that stuck with me, you don't have to be the victim of your environment. You can be the architect of it. I thought that was a really powerful quote because so many of us fall into that like victim mentality where it's like, well, there's nothing I can do about it. You are the architect of your own environment and you make decisions and choices that impact what you are surrounded by. And he mentioned the whole like making it visual, which Bridget mentioned, and making that cue, that thing where it's going to make you think about that habit. You have to make that a big part of your environment. So in the last episode, I talked about wanting to drink water. I need to make sure my water bottle is in front of me because otherwise I'm not going to think about drinking water. Yeah. Can we, can we, speaking of water, while you're saying all your great stuff, I'm okay. going to go use the bathroom real quick because okay. I've been drinking water. You know, what's funny is I kind of have to go to, um, although mine is due to my coffee, but I oh. think I can make it to the end of the okay. episode. I'm gonna so I'm going to let you keep rolling and telling okay. people all the good things. Okay. Have fun in there. <laughs> um, so he also mentioned how behavior is defined by our relationship with the objects. And so it's interesting because Bridget was talking about like being able to relax on the couch. For me, my relationship with the couch is getting work done because for the longest time, that's where I worked ever since I was in college. Like I would work on the couch. So for me, I actually have a relationship with the couch where it triggers work. 
And he mentioned how if you can't get a new environment, you can just rearrange your current one. So you can make changes to your current environment. That way you can develop a new relationship with it. And we already hit on this, um, but disciplined people are better at structuring their lives in a way that don't require them to use a lot of willpower or self-control. So I think that that's something to keep in mind. You have to create a disciplined environment. Moving on to make it attractive. He talked a lot about it's not even the it's not even the reward that gets us really excited. It's the anticipation of a reward that gets us to take action. So, for example, it's that whole like Christmas morning as a kid. It's the anticipation of it that really gets you excited. I also had noticed had noted the temptation bundling. So linking an action of what you want to do with something you need to do. I already do this kind of like Bridget's uh, mother-in-law. I will listen to podcasts on Fridays when I clean the house because there's parts of it I enjoy, but parts of it that I don't. But that's when I catch up on all my podcast episodes. So I, I wonder if it. like I do that in any way. Because originally when I listened to that, I was like, oh, I don't do any of that. I really should start doing that. So maybe but just pay attention over the next like week or so, because you might start to notice like, oh, yeah, I do. I do do that. <laughs> um, and then I had the same thing noted about how behaviors are attractive when they help us fit in and we soak up those qualities and practices of those around us. I think that's hugely important. Like you yeah. have to think about who you're surrounding yourself with because they're going to rub yeah. off on you. Um, and he mentioned how you have to make hard things attractive and having that like you get to do this rather than you have to do this. It's you get yes, to do this. That It's that mindset shift. Yeah. And he talked about pre-gaming your jitters. So if you're nervous before a presentation and what's so ironic is that I was reading this while I was in Tennessee before giving a presentation rather than looking at it from like, oh, I'm nervous. I'm going to mess this up oh, my body is preparing me to be able to do well. Like it's getting my Mm -hmm. adrenaline going and that's going to allow me to perform better. Mm -hmm. Um, Make it easy. Again, we've already hit on this, that whole, instead of how long does it take to build a habit, ask yourself how many does it take to form a new habit? And our real motivation is to be lazy and do what's convenient. We touched on this as well. So (laughs) he mentioned priming your environment. So like making it easy. That would be setting your clothes out, getting the coffee maker ready the night before. That's something Billy and I do every single night because in the morning we know that we just want to hit the button and have it be ready. Yes. (laughs) And he made this analogy that habits are like your entrance ramp to the highway So they kind of get you started and that's where that two minute rule comes in. It's a great way to like get started with a new habit and it allows you to like master the habit of just showing up because sometimes that is the hardest part. It is. And then make it satisfying. He talked about how you have to feel successful in order to stay consistent. And so incentives can really help you be able to start a habit, like incentives are rewards, right? Those immediate rewards that are going to allow you to stay motivated. But then once your identity starts to kick in, you have those intrinsic motivation, those intrinsic rewards, that's going to help you actually sustain the habit. So rewards can really help you get started. And again, this made me think about like behavior management and how like it's okay to have rewards when you're trying to initially change a behavior. Um, And then something I just found interesting, he mentioned a habit contract, which is a verbal or written agreement in which you state your commitment to a particular Mm -hmm. habit and the punishment that will occur if you don't follow through. So Mm -hmm. let's say I wanted to start a habit of going to the gym four days a week. I could say to Billy, like, hey, if I don't go four days a week, like I have to pay for dinner on Saturday night or something like that. And so it's those immediate consequences for your actions, which I think is important because we tend to fall into these um, kind of trails of like, well, I just won't do it today. Well, I just won't do it today. And it like starts to compound. And I think we do that with our students, don't we? But we don't do it with ourselves. We say that, you know, if you don't end up finishing your work, you're going to have to sit out or you're not going to get the reward at the end of the week. Yep. So it makes sense for us to be able to do that to ourselves because it's our way of trying to embed that into our own kids. Yes. And also I lied when I said I could make it through the episode. I cannot okay. make it through the episode. So now we're going to do the same thing that I it's just did. It's the Bridget did. show now. Yep. I'm, I'm going to run to yep. the bathroom and I'll be back. You do that. <laughs> okay. 
So now what we're going to do is look at what are some of the things that for us moving forward and how are we going to end up changing um, just by kind of listening and reflecting on everything that James, our BF, has now kind of added into the text. So um, one of the things that I think for me, I really noticed that I am a huge procrastinator and chapter 13 of this text for if you are a procrastinator like me, chapter 13 will really, really resonate with you. But he talks about those those decisive moments. And so if you think about it, um, if you're a procrastinator, you have kind of the, the fork in the road, the two options. You can either get up and put your um, your you know, gym clothes on, or you could just kind of stay in your pajamas. Which one? It's that decisive moment of, am I going to put my, my, uh, my clothes on now, or am I not? And so if I make that choice to go ahead and put my gym clothes on, it's going to take me a little bit closer to being able to obtain and meet that habit and cast a vote for that specific habit. So I love how what he did is he took these big habits you know, that I want to be healthier. And he broke them down. Like, what are the ways in which we can be healthier? So if you think about it, well, I can be healthier in the food that I'm eating and how many times that I'm working out in the water that I'm drinking. And so I like the fact that he broke some of those things down because I think those big, broad habit ideas are really hard to obtain. And so I like that he talks about the, these decisive moments because it matches to breaking down those habits and making them a little bit more attainable. It's like you're kind of nudging yourself each and every time to getting closer to casting more and more votes towards that specific habit. So I loved that because I know I am a procrastinator. So now it's more (laughs) so just about like focusing on the decisive moments that are occurring in a day. I'm back, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, she's back. The other things that he talks about that I know for me moving forward is going to be like moving distractions and resetting the room. I loved this idea of resetting the room. I resonated, like I mentioned, with the law of least action. (laughs) I like to work hard, but I'm honestly a pretty lazy person. And so I like things to be simple. If things are not simple, the lazier route, then I don't want to do them. So resetting the room um, is basically this idea of as soon as you're finished with something, if you're finished with the TV remote, put the TV remote exactly where you had it before, right? So you're always kind of resetting it. You finish the task, you reset. So that way it always makes things a little bit easier the next time. Yeah. The purpose is to prepare for the next action. And he calls this being proactively lazy. Oh, <gasps> Pro, I want a shirt that says that proactively lazy. <laughs> so I, it just, it does, it resonates with me. And I like that idea of it. So you have to like prime your environment so that you're ready for the next action that comes from that. Um, and it makes creating that habit a little bit easier. And you can also do this for getting rid of bad habits, which he calls creating friction. So he says that if you're always looking at your phone, you know, leave your phone in another room. And it's interesting because like I mentioned, I, my brain likes to make connections as I read. And so one of the things that I connected is that on weekends, I do put my phone in my room and I don't carry it around the house with me. And it's really nice because I feel like I don't have the desire to check social media when I do that. Yeah. So I thought, oh man, I have a habit. I've been building this habit over a while. It's a bad habit, by the way, guys, is that I will check my phone at school and I will go on social media at school. So what I've told myself is that I'm just going to start leaving my phone in my backpack. And then that way, instead of taking it out, I won't do that. Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to allow myself to take my phone out until first recess because I do like to have my phone when we go to recess just in case the office has to call or whatever happens out there. So that will give me a good chunk in the morning to really be focused and to build in some of those better habits. So I liked that idea of it. Uh, The other thing is making a habit tracker more visible for me. Um, I know that we have like our habit trackers that are in our fitness planner and that we have one like that we can use one in our um, like our teacher planners. But I think for me, I need it to be more visible and present where I have it. So I've told myself that I'm going to have one habit tracker at home and one at school. So the home one is now located on the fridge. Uh, The one on school is I have like this little magnetic bar next to my desk area and I'm just going to paste it there. That way it makes it 
it makes it easier for me to kind of say, yes, I am doing this or no, I'm not doing that for when I'm wanting to build some of those habits. So, and then I'm going to do habit stacking all the way. I'm really going to start focusing on like, what are the things that I'm already doing that I can now kind of attach a new habit that I want to build with? So, yeah. 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 I, well, I'm going to start with the habit stacking because I also like when I heard that, I was just realized that's such an easy way to yeah, do it. it so is. I want to keep doing that. Um, in fact, I've already started doing that. So I weigh myself every day just as a way to kind of track like with my nutrition and especially with powerlifting, there's different weight classes. And so I have to kind of monitor things, right? And so that's something I already do every day. I wake up, I go to the bathroom, I weigh myself. And so I mentioned this whole washing my face and how that's something that I've been working on for the past like two months or so. I started habit stacking that with weighing myself. So now when I get up, I go into the bathroom, I turn on the water because for whatever reason, our sinks in our master bathroom take forever for the water to get warm. And now that it's getting cold outside, I'm like, I need warm water if I'm going to wash my Mm -hmm. face. So I turn on the water. So it starts to heat up. I go to the bathroom, I weigh myself and then I wash my face. Mm -hmm. And so you're pairing like the cue, right? So when I wake up, I know that the next thing I have to do is turn on the sink. And I know once I turn on the sink, the next thing I have to do, is use the bathroom. Once I use the bathroom, I know I have to weigh myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like when we talk about building routines, that routines help us to build those habits. I think mm-hmm. that's where habit stacking comes into mm-hmm. play. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe we should do a whole episode on like how to pair habit stacking with your routines and like yeah. an implementation. Oh my gosh. Um, I was thinking of that earlier. Okay, go okay. ahead. So one thing he did note though, and this is something for me to keep in mind, that the cue should have the same frequency as the desired habit. So if I only weighed myself maybe Monday through Friday, but I'm wanting to wash my face every day, like that would not be a good cue because then on Saturdays, like I wouldn't weigh myself And as a result, I probably wouldn't wash my face. So you got to make sure the frequency Mm -hmm. is the same. Um, This is just something I want to continue to remind myself of. He said, you can't get too attached to one version of your identity. And I think, especially as people on social media, and I don't know if you agree with this, Bridget, but the people who follow us tend to see us in one light and they want us to stay the person that we were when they first found us. Right. And Mm -hmm. so people that have been following us for years, like they almost get mad when we make certain changes because they're like, well, that's not who you were when I started following you. And they want you Mm -hmm. to stay in that mold. And it feels really difficult to kind of change and evolve like humans do. I'm not going to be the same person at 28 as I was at 23 when I started my YouTube channel. Yeah. Like I'm just not going to be that same person. And, but it's hard when you get pushback from people, right? Because ultimately we want to be accepted. So I'm just going to continue ra- reminding myself, I can't get too attached to any one version of my identity. Yeah. I really want to focus on getting in action instead of getting in motion. So James defines like in motion as that planning, strategizing, learning, like it's when you're like, I'm going to start it later. I'm still, you know, planning it out. I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. Whereas when you're in action, you're actually going to get an outcome. And he said, we're so focused on figuring out the best approach that we never get around to just taking action. And this is something I do all the time. That is you. (laughs) Yes. Because motion makes us feel like we're making progress without the actual risk of failure. And something he mentioned was just get your reps in. And that was something I could relate to because it's like going to the gym and I'm like, every session doesn't have to be perfect, but I'm still casting that vote for the person I want to be. Um, I also want to focus on standardizing before I can optimize. And so this is like getting used to doing all of those small pieces so that you can build them up rather than worrying about it being like the best that it can be from the get-go. Like you have to first standardize and get used to all those little pieces before you can really optimize it and have it be the best that it can be. He also mentioned the Goldilocks rule, which means humans experience peak motivation when they're working on tasks that are just right on the edge of their current ability. So it's not too hard, not too easy. It's just right. 
So if I'm trying to build a new habit, I really want to make sure that I follow that Goldilocks rule and it's not too hard, but not too easy. Right. And then this was a good reminder. And actually I've thought about this a lot since I finished reading the book. He kind of asks like, ultimately who can handle the boredom of training every day, doing the same thing over and over again. And it's that whole like showing up despite feeling bored. And I think about this a lot with the gym because ultimately I'm doing a lot of the same workouts week after week. And I've now been working with my powerlifting coach for a year. So it's kind of gotten to a point where there's that small part of me where it's like, I'm a little bit bored. I want to do something different, but it's the people who are going to be really successful are the ones who can handle that boredom and just go in and continue to show up. Um, and then this is something I just kind of felt I felt like this could be a good thing moving forward. I want Billy and I at the start of each year. So, you know, at the start of 2022, which remember Bridget and I record these ahead of time. So we're actually yeah. recording this in December. So I want to sit down, Billy and I like go to a coffee shop and together I want to like set holes, set holes, set goals and decide on habits. I combined goals and habits. Yeah. See what I did there. And I want to kind of decide on those together and then every month have like a check-in and kind of see how we're doing. That way we can really hold ourselves accountable and make sure that, you know, we're sticking to the things we need to stick to. And he talks about that accountability partner. And I think we've talked a lot about that too, of just having somebody there with you to kind of hold you accountable towards some of that. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're going to leave you with, uh, I think this is one last quote. Am I yes. right? This is our last quote. And, and I'm going to say it since I'm not a quote person. Quotes. Okay. Summary of all quotes. And I'm going to be the person to, to read it out loud. So <clears throat> here we go. Sometimes a habit will be hard to remember and you'll need to make it obvious. Other times you won't feel like starting and you'll need to make it attractive. In many cases, you may find that a habit will be too difficult and you'll need to make it easy. And sometimes you won't feel like sticking with it and you'll need to make it satisfying. Yeah. I felt like that perfectly summed it up. It does. (laughs) It does. It really does. So we hope that you enjoyed this episode. I think this episode might be our longest episode to date. I feel like it probably is. But hopefully that shows you like we got so much out of this book. So we would love for you to also read it and like share your thoughts with us. Again, we will have it linked for you in the show notes so you can grab it, but it's just called Mm -hmm. Atomic Habits by James Clear. You can grab it at Amazon or any other bookstore. Yeah, it it is definitely a good one and something for you to even do as with teachers in your building, like do it as a book study. Like Mm. I think it's it's Mm. worth for everyone to be able to read it. Um, so we would love for you to also head over to our website, teachingonthedouble.com, and submit your time-sucking hurdle. We want to know what your current TSH is. We would also love it for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get notified on Thursday mornings when we drop our new episodes. And make sure to leave us a review on our, over on iTunes. It really does help us get into the ears of so many other teachers out there, and we love hearing from you. So until next time. Be timely. Stay organized. And be productive. Bye-bye. See ya. <laughs>